and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Are you overworked, overstressed, and overwhelmed? You want life to be different, but you don't even know how to get there. Man, oh man, I lived there myself. And in my experience with working with thousands of people from all walks of life, there is one simple thing that holds so many of us back, a lack of time management. We may know what we want, but we often don't know how to get there and don't feel like we can add one more thing into our already busy day. And that's exactly why I created the Dream Life Action Planner. It's a 90-day inspired game plan that will give you total clarity on your greatest priorities and skyrocket your productivity on the tasks that matter most. And now, for a limited time, you can get your own copy for free And when you go to denisewalsh.com slash action. Denise Walsh, D-E-N-I-S-E-W-A-L-S-H dot com slash action, A-C-T-I-O-N. Put your information in and we will send this action planner directly to your inbox so you can set your goals, reprioritize your calendar and design your dream life today. Big, big welcome back to the Dreamcast. You guys, this next guest is someone who is going to share with us so many cool and different ways to think about a very important topic, our health. As you know, we truly can thrive in all areas of our life. You can have a thriving business, a thriving family, thriving finances, and thriving health at the same time. I I think a lot of times we think we have to sacrifice one to experience success in another area. And I'm here to tell you that just, no, 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 that's just not true. So today we're going to focus in on our health, especially in the world's climate right now. I think focusing on being healthy rather than the opposite, right, which is focusing on not being sick is a much better approach to life. Our next guest has been a holistic life coach for over 10 years, helping clients to resolve a variety of health challenges. Eight years ago, he began working with cancer patients who had terminal cancer. His first client is still cancer-free today, along with many others. And have um, many of his clients have dramatically reversed their cancer by learning the root cause of their particular cancer and what changes need to be made to reverse it. He is the author of a three-book series called What's in a Tear, and today he's going to be talking to us about the root cause of cancer. Big dream life. Welcome to Paul Leanderts. Thank you so much, Denise. Well, I had the privilege of listening to you talk for several hours uh, about this specific topic. It blew my mind. In fact, I have several friends who have gone through the cancer journey. So I know, um, at least from an outside perspective, what goes into treating a conventional cancer and uh, or cancer conventionally. And your information truly steps outside the box and gives full healing from the inside out. And so we're going to talk about all of that over the next 
uh, couple minutes that we have together, but I'd love to first start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Why did you become a holistic lifestyle coach and why did you focus on cancer? By the way, before I begin, I, I loved your intro, how you're talking about thriving, um, because that just really resonates with me and my whole approach to cancer, because I believe that if you want to become cancer-free for life, you got to focus on uh, thriving as the solution or the cure rather than focusing on surviving. And that's what basically the mainstream medical approach to cancer is. It's a focus on survival. And I mean, of course, everyone wants to survive longer, but but thriving really is the solution. That's that's really the cure. Surviving is not the cure because you can survive for a year and then your cancer comes back or whatever. So I loved your intro. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, in school, when I was a kid, I was always interested in health. And I went to university and I started learning the science of health and, um, you know, establishing sort of a deeper scientific understanding of anatomy and physiology and biochemistry and these types of things. And at the end of university, I... I, I had paid for school through a, I became self-employed and I started a construction business actually. So while I was learning about health, I was working outside in the sunshine and the fresh air, um, getting a lot of physical exercise. I was incredibly fit. I, I really had a high level of health and I was following all kinds of mainstream approaches to health as well. So I was counting my calories back then, <laughs> which is something I I find completely you know irrelevant today with what I understand but I was I was counting calories back then I was following basically all the mainstream educational models of health and um I was eating uh many uh different food groups I was eating um x number of servings of grains each day anyways I ended up developing back pain and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So here I am, I'm 20 years old and I'm developing back pain. I'm 41 now. And so back then I'm, I'm de developing back pain and I, and I really just don't understand why. And I'm thinking, well, it must be because of the hard work I'm doing, my construction job. So I took a week off and after that week, I was self-employed so I, I could take the week off. After that week, I, my back didn't improve at all. It had gotten worse, actually. So I went to all kinds of specialists and, you know, like um, physiotherapists and chiropractors and, and different types of professionals that specialize in specific things. And nothing helped. I even bought like an expensive bed that didn't help. Uh, all these different things. I just kept getting worse. And I thought, I'm going to just uh, have to close my whole business. And I, I don't. I was just getting to a point where I was trapped. And then I went to a health symposium that was called the best of the best. And there was all these different uh, presenters of different aspects of health. And one of them was Paul Check of the Check Institute in California. And he had written a book called How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy, which I still think is one of the foundational books on health in the world. It's, it's really, it's truly valuable, that book. So if anyone's looking for a book on health, I would definitely definitely suggest his book. Um, and anyways, as I was reading that book, I read a section in there on gluten intolerance and how lots of people are gluten, over 50% of people are gluten intolerant, especially Caucasians. And so I thought, well, I'm following this the, the food pyramid, Canada's food guide, and and strictly, which is what I'm supposed to apparently do based on my education. And um, so I'm eating all these grains. So I cut those grains out and... My back pain had been bad for two years. It was getting worse for two years. 
tried everything that I could. When I cut grains out of my diet, my back pain was gone in four days. Gone. And the only time my back pain ever came back was when I ate grains again. And it took me a while to just completely flip my lifestyle over. Like no longer eating toast for breakfast, no longer eating pizza, uh, no longer eating pasta. And so so my back pain came back here and there whenever I broke now the rules that I was now aware of. There's these rules that if you break them, you suffer some sort of stress in your body. So this was a life-changing experience for me, really, because what it showed me is no matter what I did, until I addressed the root cause of the problem, my back pain wasn't going to go away. So there was lots of things that I did that gave me some kind of relief temporarily. Like you can go to a massage therapist, a good massage therapist, and have a nice, good bodywork session and walk out of there feeling relief. But if you walk back into your life where you're eating gluten, for example, in this case, then you're just going to recreate the pain. And now you need to go to the massage therapist again to try to deal with this problem. So long term, the problem always gets worse because until the root cause is addressed, there, there is a, a problem that's mounting. So this, this kind of shift my psyche big time. It made me realize, why wasn't I taught this in university? Like, wow, I just spent a lot of money in university, four years of like tons and tons and tons of information, just so much that, you know, most people find university overwhelming with the amount of stuff you have to learn. And yet I didn't learn the very basics of what I needed to eat to be healthy. So, wow, that made me start searching for what I felt like is the truth. Like, what is the actual truth about health? And so now, 21 years later, I've gathered a lot more truth. And so that's how I got into holistic health and and thinking with an open mind. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I uh, read Eat, Move, and Be Healthy by Paul Check as well. And it is a, such a foundational piece to how our bodies work and how what we consume impact our bodily functions. And they always say, right, if you want your body to do what it's supposed to do, give it what it needs, which is not McDonald's. But unfortunately, mainstream everything I'm learning um, is not designed for optimal or thriving. Um, I'm learning a lot about coffee as uh, you you guys have talked about and we'll get to that later, but I'm like, well, you're right. If the world says I need it every day, it's probably not going to help me thrive. So I'm slowly cutting that back as well. Um, But you guys, a lot of this is not taught in schools. It's not, and it's certainly not fed to our students. It's certainly, you know, their their lunch programs are full of junk. And and I think the more we realize that the world we're living in is not helping us thrive, keep using that word, not helping us to be optimal, the more that we're going to have open eyes to say, all right, well, what else is out there? And so you sought that out. You healed yourself through food. Um, which led you to become a level three Czech Institute practitioner. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So after that experience, I found so much value in uh, Paul's teachings in his book that I just decided to do one of his courses. And I did um, Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1. So I basically started with this scientific foundation, completed it, and then as soon as it was done, had that experience and then just went right into holistic health. So with the Czech Institute, I found so much value because 
these teachings, a lot of the teachings of the Czech census too, are actually the truth. And then I, I know that they're the truth because symptoms go away when you actually apply the truth. Taking a pharmaceutical drug, for example, for back pain, it might, like I said, provide temporary relief or make you able to survive your back pain for however much longer. But because it's not in alignment with the truth, like it's not actually connecting to the truth of what's really going on, which allows a person to create the, the change that they need to become whole again, it just doesn't work long term. So the Czech Institute was just amazing. I, I found them so valuable. So I just did all of their training. So I have basically all of the training of the Czech Institute, HLC 1, 2, and 3. And then they have another line of certification called Czech Practitioner. And so that's Czech Practitioner 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I've done the first three. I, I never ended up doing the fourth one, but I probably will one day. But um, after all that training, then I started working with people with cancer. And that's when I kind of went into my own journey and started developing a very deep awareness of what's going on with regards to cancer. What's the truth behind a tumor that's growing in a person's lung? What's the truth behind a tumor growing in a person's colon? And so on. And as you kind of said in my introduction, I didn't learn this in school. I didn't learn this in a book. So the the things that I now teach in my courses and, and my approach to cancer that I use with clients is based on my own personal sort of research, which isn't was never done in a lab, but done with people. And um, thankfully, there are a lot of people out there that have the courage to pursue healing from within, to want to actually learn how to thrive and not just destroy their cancer. Right. Because of course people want their cancer gone. So when people are afraid and people are stressed out and told, especially oftentimes with a lot of pressure for various reasons, that you know they have to go do this treatment, they have to destroy their cancer before they their cancer destroys them. Then they end up pursuing this, you know, going down this road of a war on cancer, which really has nothing to do with um healing. It just, that might sound like an exaggeration, but it really has nothing to do with health principles or healing. You know, like if, if health principles, like you mentioned, are the fulfillment of needs. So a health principle, for example, is to sleep deeply at night. So when you wake up in the morning, you're restored and your energy is now higher again. If you were to miss many nights of sleep in a row, your health would just go down and down and down. So one basic foundation of healing and overcoming any disease, not just cancer, would therefore be sleeping well. So that's a health principle. Now, now there's lots. So there's physical health principles like sleep, uh, drinking clean water, eating whole organic food. These are needs. It's not like um, some kind of a health protocol to go on or you know some kind of a temporary fix. These are needs that are everlasting. Like that's what we need when we're born, and that's what we need every day until we die. We all have to basically sleep well. We all need to eat whole organic food, and we all need to drink clean water as three physical examples. So, of course, if we don't actually fulfill those needs perfectly, which rarely ever is the case, we like we don't have to be perfect. But if we don't fulfill those needs very well, and those needs are replaced with these other things, like you said, like McDonald's. That's McDonald's is not a need. We don't need to eat chemicals and preservatives. We don't need to eat food colorings. And um, there's there's lots of addictive qualities to these foods. None of that are none of those things are needs. So 
what happens is actually living optimally and being healthy and happy because these things affect our emotions too. So if you want to thrive in your family life, in your happiness, in your career, everything, then you basically need to actually fulfill your needs at the very basic level, which is to sleep, drink clean water, and eat whole organic food. So we have needs emotionally as well. And the emotional needs are so powerful, so important that they can just override these physical things. So our physical needs. So for example, if you were to miss a night's sleep and then the next day have to go to work or have certain responsibilities that are difficult to change. Now, let's say you barely slept at all and and you're having a hard time functioning throughout the day, having a hard time staying awake because your basic need wasn't met. Now you might end up um, having a hard time not consuming, say, a coffee. (laughs) So so things can spiral out of control once our needs aren't being fulfilled. So emotionally, if we're not happy in our job, that I've found is another reason why it can, you know, people can start um, going into survival mode, you know, making choices that are suboptimal, but at least, so for example, many people will smoke a cigarette on lunch break and it's, it's not because they're, they don't care. Um, like, I mean, sure. Some people might say, I just don't care, but there, there's lots of people that are trying not to smoke a cigarette, but what they don't realize is that really because they're not emotionally well, maybe they're not fulfilled with their job or happy in their job. Truly, it doesn't give them a fulfillment, like a fulfillment of purpose in this life. It doesn't really resonate with their heart or some something about their job is so unideal that they have to go into survival mode and say, smoke a cigarette just to feel good to get through the day. So the emotions is the realm that's really uh, uh, important to address when you're wanting to heal uh, and and when you're wanting to live a life of thriving, you got to line yourself up into a reality that really fulfills all of your needs. And so, fulfilling all of your physical needs, which then translate to fulfilling your emotional needs, which means really loving who you are and the world around you. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And and the emotions. They, 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 they work both ways. So if you're not eating well, then you'll, it'll be nearly impossible to have healthy emotions. A lot of people experience depression and anxiety and a lack of motivation, like low energy. And that's actually coming from the food that they're eating or the liquids that they're drinking. Right. And I can imagine that the people that come to you for help with their cancer diagnosis um, have a lot of them tried other things first? Are you a last resort? Are you a first resort? What type of client do you typically see? Yeah, that's that's what was so special about my uh, work with cancer patients years ago when I first started. I didn't even plan that. I just wrote my book on cancer because I didn't explain this yet, but I had two family members die of cancer many years ago. And that's when I was very fit, very healthy, very into holistic health, but I had not yet gone deeper into the emotional realms of healing and the spiritual realms of healing. So for example, it's important. I just pointed out three physical factors that are important, but if, but even if those are fulfilled, organic food, sleeping well in water, it still doesn't mean you can't develop cancer. So a lot of people think, well, I don't understand. How did I get cancer? I'm healthy. I exercise in the gym. I eat well, but yet now I have this diagnosis of cancer. It's because the emotional realm and the spiritual realm and the mental realm, the, the mental, the mind and the emotions are always just tied together. So those realms are deeper and far more potent influences on our lives, on our on our wholeness. So 
basically, if you want to tackle cancer and tackle all disease, basically, if you can understand cancer, you can essentially understand most disease because cancer is just the peak of it. Cancer is sort of the result of decades and decades of our society not addressing the root cause of maladies, you know, getting further away from the fulfillment of needs as a whole. So I would suggest to people that if you really want to take cancer seriously, like preventing it and especially overcoming it is to think bigger beyond even yourself and realize that if you engage in true healing and true prevention and the, or the reversal of cancer, you're moving into a realm that's far beyond like changing your diet. You're actually starting to help uh, address and resolve the problems we see in the world at large. So you're starting to help address the problems we see in families, in generations. So a lot of people will say, you know, will realize my grandma died of breast cancer and then my mom died of breast cancer and now I might may get breast cancer. So the last thing I would suggest you do is go to war on cancer. You got to so this is this is a huge valuable task to actually start understanding cancer for real, what's really going on and then addressing uh the root cause. Then you can put an end to 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 like patterns that we're seeing in society. Today the the rate of cancer is one in two people. So it it really is an important thing to um address and honestly by addressing it by is it not just learning about it but actually reshaping your life and your value system so that you actually start to experience higher levels of motivation on a daily basis higher levels of joy higher level you maybe you experience for the first time in your life the feeling of bliss <laughs> like high energy happiness real happiness presence like actually being present, not just being able to hear, listen to someone, but actually hear them, uh, learning how to communicate effectively to, to really get your voice across. It's, it's a really tremendous transformation. Like the healing of cancer, both prevention and the cure, the so-called cure, is actually a really tremendously valuable and essential and important transformation of the self. So I think we're seeing tons of this. Like there's... <laughs> You're an example. We've got podcasts happening all over the world. There, there is a massive awakening happening where people are really starting to transcend these mainstream value systems of, you know, try to say, try to like following some kind of a template, you know, in the mainstream education system. Um, it's, you know, our children and our young adults are exposed a lot to a lot of superficial and materialistic things, artificial foods, competition, power situations. Like if you can try to be more powerful than other people, try to make more money than other people, this, all this kind of stuff is, is just a product of people's needs actually not being fulfilled deep down. You know, when people's needs aren't fulfilled, then they start to be attracted to things that are just damaging for themselves, like a McDonald's meal or a coffee. And they're then thus damaging to others or the environment. Well, you're exactly right. The school system teaches us to be consumers rather than creators. And as humans, imagination is our superpower and, and being creative and actually producing things ourselves rather than just consuming is a way that we can use our gifts to help the world. One of the things you mentioned in the training I listened to a few weeks ago was that pretty much if you're diagnosed really with anything, but specifically cancer here, it's a call to make a strong lifestyle change. Change needs to occur. And what you have found is that 
if you can get rid of the cancer, but like the root cause is, is still the same, then the cancer continues to come back. So what kind of changes do people need to make or have you noticed in your work that helps people with long lasting results? Great question. Well, um, the most important, I, I would say there's probably two most important changes to make, and it often applies to clients or, or patients or anyone with a health challenge. So it may not to apply to everyone, but this is the most common. One is to actually start to develop a relationship with just yourself, just yourself. Uh, oftentimes people are so engaged all the time in relationships with others that they have no time left over for themselves. And um, the healing, like especially of cancer, only comes in aloneness. It, it only comes by actually establishing or reestablishing a relationship with yourself where you can start, where you, you start to connect to your truth and realize what is it that makes me happy? What do I actually need as an individual? So that's, that's one thing is to, to go into this relationship with yourself, which is maybe opposite. That might be a surprise for a lot of people um, because you know, people, people want to, to get a, a sense of safety and connection with others. But really, the healing is about developing a sense of safety and connection with yourself, which really amounts to learning how to love yourself. Because in school, for example, we're taught not to love ourselves in a kind of deeper psychological way. Because a child goes to school, and a child might be connected to themselves and realize, well, right now, I would love to go uh, skip and skip across that pasture and pick some of the dandelions that I see and check out the bugs and lay in the sun and sprawl out in the grass and have a nap and play in the dirt and do all these things. That's the inner truth of the child when they're, say, wh whatever age. But because they're forced into school, they have to actually just sacrifice that desire that's rising up naturally from within and instead make a decision from the head. And the decision from the head is basically forced upon them by the teacher or the school system or the parents saying, well, you might want to do that because that's actually going to create happiness for you. But what we have determined is what you need to do is actually acquire a whole bunch of facts and information. And at the end of that, we're going to test you on it. And if you do well in the test, then we will accept you and approve of you. And we have a classification system for that. So this creates like tremendous confusion in young children because their natural tendency is to go create happiness, but everyone around them is basically threatening them with punishment to not do that and instead do what others are telling them they need to do. So that's a basic example of how the psyche starts to form with relation to the mind and the emotions in childhood. And then wait, later on, you can have someone that's in their 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, developing cancer. And in a complex way, it's related to them having lost connection to what actually, uh, you know, like listening to their inner voice, trusting their inner voice, responding to their inner voice. They might just be completely ignoring it and sacrificing themselves and living through the head, doing what they think they should do or believing what they think they should believe. It's, and it's, it's all this confusion. So a foundational component of healing is having the courage. This requires courage as well because it's very uncomfortable. It's not common. And it's when spending time alone and developing this relationship with the self is oftentimes just a scary process because 
you're kind of restructuring your whole ego structure. <laughs> if that makes sense, hopefully that makes sense to most people. Your, your definition of self is now being looked at. Like, who am I and why? And how did I, like, how did I get to where I am? This is what I actually call the second birth. So when I, in my courses and in my, when I work with clients, I actually explain to them that healing is being born again, but now consciously. So when you're first born, you're born unconsciously. A child's mind is just passive. Like you can tell a child, well, well, first of all, an example I often share is when you're born, you're given your name. You know, you didn't choose your name. And then you carry the name your whole entire life. And a lot of people don't ever realize you didn't choose that name. Like in a very deep way, that was just given to you. So who you are is different than that. It's something deeper. You know, there's the, the you is you're, you're just you. We could take your name away and you would actually be you. <laughs> so the first birth is based on outside influence, like a tremendous amount of outside influence. Like this is how you should eat. This is what you should think. This is what you should value. This is what you should focus on in life. And this is all imprinted in the first basically seven years up to like 14 years and longer. So when healing, the need to heal, reverse cancer comes along, or if you want to take steps to prevent, prevent cancer now, it really, it's the same thing. It's, it's looking, it's starting to look at yourself and starting to spend a lot of time alone so that you can now start consciously making decisions. So as a metaphor, you would now consciously decide, what would I like my name to actually be? <laughs> you know, and what actually makes me happy? And um, at first, oftentimes people have no idea how to answer those questions, like what actually makes me happy? So you can't really figure it out until you go into aloneness. So that's, that's one piece of advice. So how do you do that? Well, a really simple, effective way to do that is just to start spending every single day devoting a certain amount of time to aloneness. 20 minutes is actually very helpful. So every single day you go for a 20-minute walk alone, or you go to some special place alone. And just be free in that aloneness and kind of figure out what how you want to use that time. Um, if you could make it an hour, that's even better. And that means not listening to YouTube or podcast or other consuming type media during that time. Yes, thank you. Good, good point. Yeah, no, it's to disconnect from others in every way. So you would go for a walk in nature and just listen to the birds and process and think and reflect on life and reflect on what makes me happy and just have these little conversations with yourself. Listen to water flowing by. Just practice being present so that you're actually with yourself. Because yes, if you go for a walk for 20 minutes, but you're on your phone the whole time, well, then you're not, you're not actually alone. Yeah. So there's one example. All right. What's the second major change that someone could make? Uh, so the second major change, let's see, what would I suggest for a second major change? I think the second major change would be to, while you're in your aloneness, <laughs> practicing this, one of the most important questions to ask is, what do you want to do with this life? Like, what do you as an individual really want to um, accomplish so to speak, in this life. And I don't mean how much money do you want to make or how popular do you want to become or something like that. I mean, why are you here? Like, 
What is the meaning of life for you? How do you want to contribute to this world, like humanity? Because like someone just gifted me a book. Well, for those who are listening, you know that I feel like one of my life purposes is to help you find yours. Because I find that when we're connected to this meaning of life, when we are connected to this bigger than ourselves type experience, and we connect our work and our family and our health to the purpose in life, it goes from our head to our heart. You know, we're going to overcome challenges. We're going to plow through. We're going to enjoy the journey because we know why we're doing it. And that piece of why, not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it can be um, kind of the glue that keeps us going when things get tough. So, yes, that's exactly why I'm saying that. Yeah. Here's the book. It's called. Oh, yeah. The Dream Giver. Yep. By Bruce Wilkinson. Yeah. So I've only read the first chapter, but I, I can already see how much value is in there. And and basically what Bruce Wilkinson is saying is that, which which is definitely what lines up with me, is that every human being that's born has a gift actually inside them. It's in their heart, whether that's scientifically or metaphorically or whatever. It's, you're born with it. It comes with you. So your name didn't come with you. Someone gave you that, but your dream did your gift to humanity. This you have to find within yourself. And this is found by being alone. Um, so the reason it's so essential, as you were commenting on, is that once you understand that, why you're really here, then your energy and your time can now start going into that. And that is the one thing that you can now count on. It's, it's the one thing that nourishes your soul because you realize you're here for a reason. You have something special to offer to humanity and it's going to make this world more beautiful. It's going to bring, it'll contribute in some way to the happiness and the well-being and the health of others and all living beings on the planet. Because this gift that comes with the heart, it's not something that damages others. The thing that damages others or pollutes the environment is all head stuff. It's all the ego, fear-based things. And all of that is the thing that um, oftentimes leads to different types of diseases and unhappiness and loss in the end. But um, so, for example, a recent client that I did a session with, she has discovered through her cancer journey, and it's tied right into it. Um, in fact, if she didn't develop cancer, she probably never would have found this gift in her heart. But she's now discovered that she has a special talent and an ability with her voice um, and with different vibrations uh, to create healing sounds. And so she's now doing healing workshops and sound healing workshops where she's also teaching other people how to access different parts of their voice to resonate with different um, vibrations in the body. And she, she's just creating a lot of beauty in this world now. And and for the first, I, I guess, maybe 30 years of her life, she had no idea that she was even interested in sound uh, in that kind of special way. Wow. So she's now bringing something like sort of special and unique and new to the world. And um, this is one of the things to search for in order to reverse cancer inside yourself, because it's there, something is there for sure. It just needs to be found. And then that needs to become your primary focus in life, really. Absolutely. So developing that relationship with yourself and asking yourself those questions, what comes naturally to me? What lights me up? What do I love? What could I do all day and feel like, you know, two seconds went by, the time went by so fast. And then adding more of those things into your schedule. 
um, and, and maybe even letting go of the things that you've realized aren't actually helping you towards your life purpose or towards your uh, mission here. Now, it sounds like getting to the root of cancer is more than just making physical changes. It's, of course, taking care of those needs. It's physical um, sleep and water and food and identifying, you know, maybe gluten intolerance, those types of things. It's, it's physical. Yes. But there's layers, it sounds like, spiritual and emotional, which connects with your thought mind, um, that also need to be addressed. And it sounds like that's a lot of what you do with your clients. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Tell us a little bit uh, about what you would work with someone on if they came to you and said, all right, I've been diagnosed with X, Y, and Z. I am, have, I mean, I guess maybe they've gone through traditional treatments or or most of your people have not. What do you find? Well, in the beginning, now more people are starting to work with me that haven't even done the traditional treatment yet. This is this has just started in over the last like year or two. In the beginning, it was always people that tried everything, like traditional and alternative, and nothing had worked. And so then they thought, well, let, let's just see what you know this root cause thing is about. <laughs> well, because you're, I'm, I'm guessing that most mainstream and even off the beaten path are really focusing on physical. I mean, I hear carrot juice and Gerson therapies and enemas and things like that. That's still primarily a physical process. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Right. Thanks for pointing that out. And that's why sometimes those approaches work for people, but oftentimes they don't. Once you start addressing the root cause, then you're approaching more, you're, you're getting much closer to actually having a solution that works every time because you're actually addressing the root cause. How does someone figure that out? Well, it's tough because, well, it's a process. It's a self-reflection process. And oftentimes it requires help because it's about becoming aware of what you're not actually aware of. And I say aware, awareness is different from education. So I went into education and I was taught, I was educated to eat gluten. Gluten was destroying my intestines and causing inflammation in my back. And I was becoming debilitated. Then I became aware that what I actually really need to do is cut gluten out. So awareness is the truth. Education is potentially dangerous. It could be the truth, but once you're aware, you've got the truth. So it's it can be difficult to develop awareness because usually you need someone that's actually aware already, <laughs> you know. So when I when I wrote or when I read the book How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, the author Paul Check was aware that gluten causes damage to the intestines and causes back pain. So then I absorbed the awareness. So so to to heal, really, you have to go on a journey of a devotion to the truth. You you need to want to acquire awareness, it's not usually something that can be done alone. But spending time in aloneness is a special time because if you actually just walk and ask questions to your higher self or to your soul or to God, many times answers just come, like you just realize. So for example, a question that I would suggest anyone to ask themselves if they were to develop cancer, just go for a walk and ask yourself, what are the main stressors in my life? And those answers will probably come. You'll probably, you know, it's not like rocket science. It can be really challenging though, because if you really honestly ask the question, what are the stresses in my life? It could mean any number of things that now have to be resolved. And now can you resolve them? Well, usually yes, but that means changing something. And and you mentioned sometimes it means letting go of something. 
something has to be modified, changed, resolved, so that th- those sources of stress are no longer actually part of your reality. And that's what healing really is about, because now you're transitioning out of survival mode, actually, and moving into thriving mode, which means your needs are fulfilled. Because if you're stressed and you're in some kind of a stressful life circumstance or scenario that isn't changing and hasn't been for a long time, it means your needs are not being fulfilled. And it also means you're not succeeding in fulfilling your destiny here, you know? So this woman with her, uh, she's now discovered her sole mission, which is to bring the beauty of voice and the beauty of sound uh, to more and more people's lives. Well, if she never began her journey of self-healing and looking inward, she never would have discovered that. And so she, this gift would not have been able to be lived, in at least in this life. So if you believe, believe in reincarnation, then maybe she could still fulfill it next time around. But you basically just have one chance, you know? in this life. So you got to love yourself and make sure that you are so important to yourself and thus to the world that you really look after yourself. Absolutely. It sounds like a cancer diagnosis or really any sort of disease that pops up is a warning sign that something is out of alignment. Something needs to be changed. And it sounds like cancer is probably a, you've probably been getting warning signs for quite a while and you're not listening. And so this develops in your body as a way to say, something's got to give, something needs to change. You're not in alignment. Let's slow life down and ask ourselves these self-discovery questions. Because another thing we're taught in this world is to be so of service to others that we lose ourselves in the process. And I think these questions, these self-discovery questions are not taught in schools. In fact, when I wrote my book, Design Your Dream Life, it's a workbook that's full of questions to ask yourself where I make you answer it, right? Because we don't typically do it on our own, which is why we need help. Um, And my dad said, nobody has ever asked me this before, you know? And I think that so many times people don't slow down enough to ask themselves these important questions and then have the courage to actually make that change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and oftentimes slowing down and creating these spaces of aloneness and silence and self-connection is difficult for people because a lot of people don't realize it, but they're carrying stress that's been unresolved from the past. And one of the most important ways to resolve stress is actually just to cry. And crying is a release of pain like emotional pain. So when a person's carrying stress, they're actually carrying pain and they're carrying it around on a regular basis. And so it's actually, there's no way around it, but the only other than to try to avoid the pain, which is to stay busy and stay in, you know, away from the aloneness and away from the quiet, because if they go into it, they'll actually feel the pain. But the thing is, pain doesn't destroy you. Pain just actually connects you to what's real. And it might be uncomfortable, but if you pay attention, if you ever have a really good cry, at the end of the cry, there's relief, finally. And so oftentimes it requires the the courage to just go into aloneness and and realize you might get into some uncomfortable emotions, but just let yourself trust, just let yourself be vulnerable to them. Emotions won't destroy you. Just be conscious and let them move through you and cry if you need to. And this this can be life-changing for people. People can go for years and years and years avoiding this. And that's why your book series is called What's in a Tear? Exactly. That's why it's called What's in a Tear. Yeah, because teardrops are actually part of the healing process, shedding real tears. Um, 
Yeah. Have you noticed a connection with different types of cancer with different trapped emotions? Yes, exactly. And it's it's not random at all. So in my second book, I'm explaining all of the main cancers and their emotional correlating factors and giving examples of like working with clients and on, on what the actual cause was and what the resolution is. But yeah, there's an emotional correlation to almost all cancers. So, so cancer can be caused just by physical factors. Like we certainly need to stop eating chemicals, which are just main component of fast food and, you know, non-foods. And we need to get away from chemicals and body care products and things like that. That's all still important. But emotional pain is usually the deeper cause. So some, like an example of colon cancer, a lot of times colon cancer is related to chronic stress about money or about family or like, like a, gr- a group of people that's in a person's life. So like a group of close friends, if there's stress ongoing in relationship to the group of friends or to the family um, or to money, that usually is the correlating factor to colon cancer. Grief, it oftentimes is the cause of lung cancer. So I, I spoke to an, an, an elderly woman once in one of my talks that I did. And what I was explaining was resonating with her. And she said that her husband had died. I forget why he died. But her husband had passed away and she was left now alone, which is very difficult for people to go into aloneness, especially like that. And she then developed lung cancer and she developed lung cancer about a year later. And so she was realizing that it was actually related to the unresolved pain of grief, which is actually held in the lungs. So because because the brain is connected to all parts of the body, if there's basically mental emotional pain registered in the brain it's also registering in in the body at the same time and it causes constriction in the lungs and the constriction leads to physiological changes that actually triggers the growth of cancer cells so when the constriction in the lungs is released which happens when a person cries actually in direct association with the pain of the loss of the loved one in a true resolution fashion because you you can just cry and cry and cry about a pain but never really resolve it So it's crying with resolution, which takes a person's pain away. Then that tension in the lungs is released. And all the physiological changes that are leading to the development of cancer cells are now resolved. And cancer cells just simply go away. What this elderly woman did, to try to remember all the details, she ended up doing chemotherapy, I think, or radiation. I I can't remember which one. And then, which is what's typical is a person's cancer often comes back. So she was declared, you know, the treatment was successful, but then uh, sometime later, she now has cancer again. But this time what she did is she completely changed her life and she went and got a job. And her husband, for many years leading up to his death and for most of the relationship, he was the sole money earner. You know, he was the provider and she was more of passive. And when he passed away, this eventually led to her gathering up the courage to just go forward in her loneliness and and start living her dream, start living, providing for herself. And when she started to do that, she was able to let go of her husband in the, in the deeper way. And when she really truly was able to let go of him, not in pain, but in acceptance, then her cancer disappeared and it never came back. And I think when I was doing that talk with her and she was sharing her story with me and the group, I think she had been cancer-free for something like five years. 
And it was pretty clear that she really was healed, not because she destroyed cancer, but but because she really healed this part of her life. Awesome. So that's a lot of what you help people do is discover what is unresolved within their past that is trapped within their body and impacting them on a physical level. So while you're getting sleep and eating organic food and drinking water, you're really impacting all um, areas of life by helping that client to tap into that pain and then resolve it in a way that the cancer doesn't need to be there anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a couple last questions for you. And one of them is um, I have several friends who have gone through cancer treatments over the past five years, and all of them had some form of Hodgkin's lymphoma. So either non-Hodgkin's or Hodgkin's. I don't, there's so many variables that they, they say in their diagnosis that I don't know all of them specifically, but I know that's more of a, a blood cancer, lymph nodes, things like that. What would you say to uh, um, regarding that specific cancer? Okay, well, one thing that I've noticed is that over the years, um, the medical like community, whoever makes these decisions, has decided that many things are just being classified and grouped into cancer when there's actually some unique differences amongst some diseases and they're, they're not really cancer. So personally, I would say that you know, what's typically taught or said to be blood cancer isn't actually even cancer. It's a special disease of itself. So a person can have a tumor in their lungs, that's cancer. A person can have a tumor in their colon, that's cancer. But when a person has an accumulation of cells in the in the lymph nodes or in the spleen uh, because of a problem with their bone marrow and their immune system, like immune cells, which is leukemia or non-Hodgkin's follicular lymphoma, it's not really cancer in in the truest sense it's a problem with excess cells accumulating in the body but it's 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 a different thing a tumor in the body is grown where there's tension emotional tension as i was explaining with lymphoma what's happening generally is there's a problem with the production of blood cells and blood cells aren't maturing like they normally should so usually there's precursor cells that are produced in the bone marrow that then go forward to become either like a red blood cell or a white blood cell. And but they first are are a basic cell that's neither. And so the, the bone marrow creates this basic cell, and that cell then becomes a red blood cell or becomes a white blood cell. So with leukemia, people or or lymphoma, these precursor cells aren't actually turning into red blood cells or white blood cells. They're just remaining undeveloped. They didn't like, it's like they didn't finish their development. And, and now they, they, they can't play a role. They can't carry out any real role because they don't have a true function yet. Something has kind of um, interfered with the process and, and made them stuck at this stage. And then these cells then start to just accumulate in regions of the body where normally they wouldn't accumulate because when they reach like the tonsils or they reach the spleen and other parts of the body where the lymphatic system does its job, they actually carry out their function because they've turned into something useful. So that's different than a tumor that absorbs huge quantities of sugar in the lungs or in the colon or anywhere a tumor grows in the body, it's absorbing huge quantities of sugar. And it's, it's actually tied into the physiological changes that I was explaining earlier. 
which I explain in detail in, the, in my first book and the emotional causes of cancer in the second book. So, however, I have worked with people with lymphoma though, because they came to me because it's classified as a cancer. And I can say that, and I've had people reverse their swollen, like reverse their so-called tumors. Like, I guess you could still call it a tumor, but it's not really the same, but they've reversed these tumors in, in the neck. Um, my one client had tumors in her neck and her groin and in her abdomen and a couple, a couple other spots of her body. And she reduced those to nothing. There was just one left that was very small. All the other ones were completely gone in just three weeks. And what she had to do and what she, I helped her do, and we focused for three weeks doing this on a daily basis. She came right into my reverse cancer residency, which is three weeks where a person is removed from all the stresses and responsibilities of life and focuses entirely on this transformational healing process. You know, so you can accelerate this process of change in a program like the one I've created uh, because it really takes time. If a person's still stuck in all the responsibilities of their life, it can take far longer for them to actually make changes. It's, you know, it's it's not necessarily an easy process to change and address all these things. What I found with her is that she was having stress multiple stresses, not just one stress with her partner, but multiple stresses with many different people in her overall life circumstance. So she had unresolved issues with her mother, with her father, with her brothers and sisters, with her husband, and even with some friends. There's all these challenges going on. And metaphorically, it's it's kind of what's what's happening is the bone marrow is supposed to develop into, like I said, either a cell that like a red blood cell that that is connected to like life, like breathing, oxygen, or it transforms into a white blood cell, which is something that basically attacks and and destroys, like consumes and and gets rid of in, in something that's invasive, like toxins or some kind of a like a parasite, our immune system, right? Like cleaning up infections. So when a person is in a chronic stress response, what they're actually in is a freeze response. In a stress response, it's called the fight or flight response. But it's actually more than that. It's the fight, flight, or freeze response. When you actually are stressed and threatened in some way and you fight the threat, you're moving energy in like a specific direction where you're you're confronting the challenge and then hopefully resolving it. If you flight, then you're just running from the challenge and that hopefully resolves it too, right? It's like if your house is burning down, then you can run into that house. This would be the fight. Like you're going to be stressed if your house is burning down. So you can, so now your fight or flight response and freeze response is triggered potentially. So if you fight, you're going to run in, you're going to try to put the fire out. If you can put the fire out, your stress will go away. If you just decide this is too much, it's beyond me. The house is done. I have to walk away from this. Then when you truly walk away from it and let it burn down, now you've chosen to flight and now you're away from the stress eventually. But if you freeze and, you know, let's say you, you, you're in the house when you realize it's on fire and you freeze and you don't know what to do. You, it's just so stressful and challenging. You really don't know what you should do. Should you run out of the house? Should you try to grab the, grab some water or the, the, um, the fire extinguisher, what and you just don't do anything, but you stay in the house. Well, now that now you're going to be consumed by the house. And so with 
leukemia, what I've found is the deepest emotional factor that's actually going on is the freeze response because there are too many stressors going on that are realistic for a person to actually, or at least it feels realistic for a person to actually fight them and resolve it. Or, and then they also feel like they can't just run away from it and resolve it. So that's why leukemia happens oftentimes in children, because a child can't fight the problems that they're experiencing potentially in the family, or, or if they're seeing their parents experiencing stress or emotional pains and challenges in their life, that threatens the child because children absorb all the stresses going on in their environment, but they, they can't do anything about it. And they can't also run away from it. They can't get themselves out of the situation because they're a child. So what they oftentimes end up doing is freezing inside in a very deep way. And so they're kind of in a house that's on fire and they can't get out of it. And so what happens is in the bone marrow, these precursor cells don't become, they, they're frozen metaphorically or, or actually they, they become frozen. So as they're developing they get to this stage where they don't actually become a red blood cell or a white blood cell. So the white blood cell would be fighting the problem and the red blood cell would be actually moving away from the problem and really living, you know, because now they can breathe again. Now they can just live. So, but they don't do either. They can't fight and they can't really just live. They can't get away from the threat. So they're stuck in a freeze. So in the immune system, the immune system receives these messages in a deep sort of, I don't know what you would call it, like a quantum physics kind of way. Or if you've heard of the work of Bruce Lipton in the biology of belief, he's shown very deep correlations with the psyche and what happens to our cells. And so our, the, the cells just get stuck. They're frozen. The immune system begins a response. The bone marrow begins to create a response but doesn't know what to actually do to fight it or to run away from it. So it just remains in this sort of frozen state. And then these cells just accumulate in a person's body. So for a person to heal, they have to get out of the frozen state and they have to actually resolve these multiple stresses that are occurring in the family. And that's, that's what I've found with my clients. Amazing. Wow. And again, having that alone time to say, what are the stressors that I have right now? Allowing those answers to bubble up and then having the courage to resolve them one at a time, most likely, right? Because it's probably way overwhelming to do them all at once. That's why we're in the freeze response. Um, but one yeah. at a time addressing and releasing and uh, moving through each one of those stressors. It's not an easy task. Like the the reason why so few people even engage in this process, and well, the main reason is because the theory of cancer is just incorrect. Uh, so people don't even have a chance to actually grow through these challenges and transcend these things and evolve into their higher potential where they are truly fulfilled and healed, where they're not just in a house that's burning down. Like you're aware of the value of succeeding through these things and engaging in this because I can just hear it in your language. You're saying, we can thrive. We can thrive. Like telling your audience, we can thrive. And that's actually true. It's just when a person is in the burning house, it can just feel like there's no hope to actually have a beautiful house, you know, and a safe house and a loving house and, and to be happy in that house. It can just seem like that's too far off into the future. So it really requires 
a lot of courage to, in, in many cases, to just go into this sort of unknown, just to face the challenge and start going into the process of change and set your goal to become a real spiritual adult, you know, healed and now living your dream and in harmony. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, well, I often think, well, what's the worst that can happen? When you're really trying to get better, nothing, right? Because what we're doing clearly isn't working if we're in this state of grief and and we're having physical and, and mental and emotional challenges. So I say to, to those listening, the worst that can happen if you try something new is you go back to where you are now. So what the risk <laughs> is minimal. Um, but it doesn't wow. mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it, but it does mean, That's it a beautiful does mean there's an option. Um, I have a question from one of my friends who I texted and I was, I was really excited to get to connect with you. I um, have absorbed your material over the weekend. And um, since I last heard your talk and just have shared the information with several and she said, Ooh, I've got a question. (laughs) So this is directly from her. And she as asking about four things. Now, I do believe you've talked about um, one of them, so we can move on to the other three. But she said, can you ask about the real effects of sugar, stress, and we've talked a lot about stress, positive attitude, and energy regarding cancer's development, and then healing? Yeah, sure. I'll do my best to address those. (laughs) <laughs> like I that's know, a big question really, it is a big question and i know we're running out of time so no worries, yeah, but um it's, it's great it's a great but, question too it's a pleasure so um i'll try to take a break here and there <laughs> i'll try to be as efficient as i can so the, the first was sugar right so the thing that's most important is to realize um that there's such thing as refined sugar of course versus healthy sugars or natural sugars that you would find in nature so with refined sugar what what's happened is it's food has been processed and whenever you process food you destroy you destroy many variables in the food so that's a different topic i guess but refined sugar is extracting just the sugar out of the food now you don't have enzymes you don't have any of these other things it's been altered in a substantial way and when a human being eats refined sugar it's it's actually classified as a poison uh, according to candace perp which is the author of molecules of emotion She won a Nobel Prize on different aspects of physiology of the human body, and and she classifies refined sugar as an actual poison. So when you eat refined sugar, it's like acidic and it destroys your gut. So it just completely kills all the healthy bacteria in your gut. It depends how much you eat, um, but it causes dysbiosis. It's also very addictive. It's incredibly addictive. Candace Pert classifies it in, in the same classification as heroin. It's very difficult to stop eating refined sugar. I had a hell of a time stopping eating refined sugar many years ago. So refined sugar is hidden too. It's it's very hard to identify. Food manufacturers realize that people are becoming aware of these things and they just name it. You know, there's they've got like 20 different names for refined sugar now. Maltodextrin, high fructose corn syrup. Um, anything that's just refined sugar out of whatever it is, is still just bad for you. A, a latest one is, uh, what's it called? There's a certain kind of syrup that a lot of healthy people are thinking it's good and it's not. Uh, maybe that'll come back to my memory later. So anyways, refined sugar, what it does is it feeds cancer cells. So when 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 you have a tumor in your body, one of the common ways that um, oncologists diagnose a person is they inject a person with radioactive sugar, radioactive refined sugar. If they have cancer, they 
the cancer shows up in a PET scan because cancer cells, if present, suck the sugar up really fast. So if a person has a tumor and they're injected with the radioactive sugar, all of that radioactive sugar will go to the tumor and the tumor will absorb it. Then when they do the scan, you can see where the radioactive sugar is and it shows where the tumor is. So this is a fact that cancer cells absorb huge amounts of sugar. And as I'm explaining in my book, the reason cancer cells are growing is because the body's being forced into a survival response and growing the tumor is part of that survival response. And it's related to the physiological changes that occur in the body as a result of chronic stress, which are damaging. Like basically a person's being destroyed on the inside when they're in a chronic state of stress. It just destroys your physiology. And cancer cells actually grow to, to extend a person's life. A person lives longer than they otherwise would if they didn't grow the tumor because the tumor's appearing in the part of the body that's under the most, that's being damaged the most. That part of the body is being suffocated. It's under tension. Uh, it's, de- it's having a decrease in blood flow. And there's, there's all these different physiological changes. So the cancer cells show up for a reason. That's why my book was called The Purpose of Cancer Cell which I know is a far stretch from the mainstream theory that's been here for decades, which says that cancer just shows up for accidental reasons. There's a genetic error that occurs, and now there's a cell multiplying out of control, and we have no control. We can't focus on any health principles. We can't change our life. Nothing will matter. Nothing works except destroying the cancer cell. And so then we have a war on cancer for decades and decades and decades, and the result is today one in two people are developing cancer. So that would be my answer to the refined sugar question. Excellent. Um, yeah. What was the second question? Positive attitude. So even Positive just attitude. kind of mindset, okay. you know, refocusing on gratitude or shifting your perception uh, rather than staying in a victim state. Because it's not, it's not easy to be grateful when you don't feel good and And so I often tell people health is one of the most important things because it's not as easy to have a healthy mindset if you're physically in pain. But how does a healthy mindset or positive thinking kind of coincide with healing this disease? Okay, well, what I tell my clients is it's just so essential is to be honest when you start doing this. You got to be honest. Don't fake it. Basically, to heal and to remain healthy is to focus on the truth, like to to face the truth if that's needed, if there's some fears, and connect to so so that you're conscious and aware of what's actually not good for you or what's not serving you. And then once you're conscious of that and you've acknowledged that, then you can actually also focus on what's positive and you know where are you supported, what's what's good in your life, so you don't just drown in the stress part of it, right? So you don't want to, the mistake is to just not think about the stressful stuff, not acknowledge the stressful stuff and just keep focusing on positive, positive things. But then what happens is the thing that's actually problematic never gets resolved. So it's to look, sort of look into the darkness or look into the stress long enough that you can really connect to the, to the, the fears or the challenges or the pain of it. And then now start making a plan of action for change and use positive thinking to motivate you and inspire you and help you succeed, you know, and now connect to what's good, what's good for you, what do you have available to you? How is the universe supporting you? Who in your life is supporting you, et cetera. So my focus is kind of half and half. You look Mm -hmm. at both, 
but then you focus on the positive. Right. Well, and I think that's really true. How many of us just skip over the hard stuff, which is why it's there to begin with. So we have to look at it. We have to face it. We have to heal it. We have to heal through those trapped emotions. So then we can um, actually move forward in a more productive way. The third thing she asked about was energy. And I don't know if she means energy levels or what she really means by that. Does that bring anything up for you? Uh, sure. Yeah, I could I could make a couple comments. Um, I don't know if I'm answering her question accurately. Like, yeah, I can't tell for sure what she's asking, but I think I have a sense for what she's asking. There's two kind of realms to energy that I would comment on. One is raising your energy because to change and to to make it through your journey of transformation uh, from being unhappy to being happy or from being unhealed to being healed or you know from where you are now, if it's not ideal to where you would ideally want to be, you're going to have to have a lot of energy to make it. You know, like if you want to climb a mountain, you need energy. So healing really is, it's important to cultivate energy. And and so sleep is one of them, organic food, doing things like Tai Chi, meditating, laying in the sun, connecting to nature, walking barefoot, being alone, uh, listening to healing sounds, listening to your favorite music. There's all these things that actually raise your energy. And you'll notice like if you put on a favorite song, one that you really enjoy, if you just pay attention, you realize, wow, I have more energy now. Because energy, I have found, I have a theory that energy does come from the soul. So it comes from sort of like a, a non-existential place if you're connecting to the soul. So when people discover what their passions are or their dream and they get excited, they actually have all this energy rush into them. And the energy is not coming from what they just ate or because they just slept. It's becoming it's coming from this deep connection they've made, you know, to their heart, to their dream in life. So there's a few comments on energy. Uh, another part that I would want to point out, which is critical for people that are in a situation where they may actually be prone to developing cancer because they're in a chronically stressful life circumstance or with someone that has developed cancer is to start paying close attention to the energy that you're feeling inside yourself in different situations. So it's essential to be spending time alone like we talked about because that's when you can start to connect to just your energy. No one else's. It's just yours. And as you deepen that, you, you start to become familiar with your own energy. Now, if you were to, let's say, for example, you're in a job that is not your, connected to your dream or your purpose in this life, and it is just about paying the bills. And at the same time, it's working for a company that really doesn't you know, offer services that are moral. So maybe you're working for McDonald's. <laughs> which makes money off of, you know, at the cost of people, then you're probably now, if you were to start spending time alone and you're, and you realize, okay, I, I want to live my dream. Then when you go back to that job, you'll notice that your energy will immediately drop. It'll just, it's like your energy is being sucked right out of your soul. You know, you're, you're just, and this is one of the ways that your body can guide you through your healing this is how your body can guide you to prevent cancer by just spending enough time alone to become, become sensitive to your own energy and then notice what happens to your energy when you're in different scenarios. And you'll just find, like in that example, this job energetically drains me. And if you can, now it's just, you know, if you stay in the job and it's draining you and you know it's draining you on a daily basis, well, you only have so much energy. 
So unless you can focus very well on sleeping well and eating organic food and, and doing all the other things I suggested while you're working for McDonald's, now you're playing, now you're in a scenario where it's essential that you keep raising your energy with all the things you have control over until you can resolve this job conflict that I gave as a suggestion. And once, which would, let's, let's call that the root cause of maybe cancer. So once you uh, start working for a company that serves organic food and makes people healthy, now you've, you've resolved the problem or you've gone and you know, started your own dream that's completely unique and different. Right, right. Um, it sounds like at the end of it all, the root of healing is spending that quiet time alone and really allowing your uh, yourself a chance to get to know yourself so you can identify how food and places and situations really make you feel. And because I know school is not teaching that to my boys, I am now realizing that I will get to create these opportunities of alone time for them. I'm thinking of things like, all right, I'm going to send them into the woods for 15, 20 minutes and have them draw, you know, come back with a drawing or come back with a journal entry or something like that, where we can teach some of these skills to our kids from a young age so that they as adults have already um, built up this connection to self that you're now helping teach people who um, haven't had it ever, if in a long time. Yeah, that's a great idea. And, you know, um, there's there's a book called um, Magical Child by Joseph Chilton Pierce. And that's, a if anyone's interested in like the development of children and how the right brain hemisphere is essential to develop in the younger years, not just the left, which is the left is all facts and information. The right is more fr- like freedom-based and feeling-based connect- connections to the emotions and creativity. One of the things I think he he suggests in there is to let children... So another, another thing you could do if you took them into the forest is just actually let them decide what they're going to do for the 20 minutes. Right. And, they, and <laughs> let, let, let them get... Yeah, let them get into things and let them just go on an adventure, essentially. And that helps them grow and develop in ways that are basically out of anyone's control. It's just... it's They're, they're left with their soul. You know, they're left with their soul to guide them. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, Paul, you have blown us away with um, all of your wisdom. Thank you so much for answering these, our questions deeply um, and profoundly. And I know your book is going to bless so many people. You guys go to the purpose of cancer.com thepurposeofcancer.com to grab his first book, The Root of Cancer. Uh, And then the other two are coming out within, I know you're in editing mode. So when do you think those will be out? Uh, I I always want to say a date that is unrealistic because I want them to be ready so soon. The second book, I think will be ready this summer, you know, sometime in the next just couple of months. That's that's the goal. And then I'll just be right into the next book because I, I wrote them all actually at the same time. But um, my language skills and 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 I've just been refining the how to connect to people on these more difficult and challenging topics because it's just not easy really. And and also because of all the years of working with cancer patients now, it's just, I, I just have to edit and write in a way that really is going to be hopefully as realistic as possible for people to learn and then be able to apply and, and really benefit from. So yeah, awesome. the second book will be writing this summer. Um, I wanted to mention too, that I have courses now that I'm holding um, because it's, yeah. So 
for people that want to go very deep into it that that are feel called to learning more about cancer and for those just if, if you're interested just send me an email so paul at wheeloflife.ca just let me know that you're interested and then i can just put you on my a list of people that are interested and then whenever we have a course ready then i just send a message out awesome awesome you guys go to thepurposeofcancer.com to grab the first book so you can have it absorbed um, before the second book comes out this summer. And then Paul's email will be in the show notes below. If you're interested in diving deep into this topic for yourself or um, because you want to have this knowledge to help train and connect with others, um, definitely email Paul and, and get connected to his program. So thank you so much, Paul, for listening to yourself for creating the space for you to do your own healing. So then you can boldly and unapologetically bring that to the world because what the world needs is more people who have their spark lit. And I can tell that yours is. And because of that, you are creating fires all around you in a good way, <laughs> lighting people up so that they can heal from the right. inside out. So thank you so much for your time and wisdom today. Thank you so much, Denise. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I want to hear your aha moment from today's amazing episode. If you could leave a review at whatever podcast player you choose to listen from, Apple Podcast, CastBox, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening from, leave a review and share with us your favorite part of today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. And remember to dream big.